Well, if, we, uh, if you walked in late, I'm still Rob Jacobson, and I'm a little calmer. So excited to be here. If you're new, you might not know that, but if you're not new, you know I'm excited for you to be here. We've been in this series on a series of teachings called Living Happy, where we're looking at this idea around this idea of living happy, and Jesus actually said that in him, we could have a true and overflowing joy. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about happy. He said, truly I tell you, on the night before he died, he said, you will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. See, living happy isn't just feeling good in a moment. It's not just being happy because of the circumstance that's around you or the things that are going on in your life. It's this constant sense of well-being and a pervasive knowledge that even if everything's not great, all is well in me and in the world. That's what living happy is. And so Jesus actually desires that we experience this kind of happy or what we call abundant life. He says it in John 10, 10, that he has come that we may have life and have it to the fullest. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about what it means to have life to the fullest. It's, it's way more than, than simply the feeling you get after Thanksgiving of like, oh, there's no room for more. It's not quite that. But yet, there is a piece of there that, that's true. That abundant life or life to the fullest means there's not room for any more life. And there was a, a husband who wanted that kind of life and they were experiencing that kind of life because they had not one, not two, but now three children. The third one was just a few months old and it was a very special Hallmark holiday just a month ago. And so He wanted to do something special, so he made sure to get flowers and came home from work early, and she wanted to do something special, so she raced from work, picked up the kids from daycare, and then came home to prepare this gourmet meal. So she's in the kitchen stirring some pesto sauce and then running to set out the fancy dishes in the dining room, and oh, they decided that their life wasn't quite full, so you know what they were going to do? They got a puppy. So the puppy is just a few weeks old, right? This is full. And, and there's a little bit of chaos happening in their house. And the husband gets home from work, and the kids that are seven and four do not realize that dad gets home. And so he's, he's proud of himself. It's before six. He's got the flowers in one hand. He's sliding his shoulder bag from work off, off his shoulder in the other hand. And then he, he just hears this kind of momentary lull where, the other kids are, are off, and, and he might even actually make it through the door. He might get to present these flowers to his wife on this special day where she would get to inhale them. They might even get to have this moment of kiss before the kids run in and scream and tackle, which is what they always do when dad comes home. And all of a sudden, then, she hear, and then he hears this scream. And, and so he runs in, and all of a sudden, his wife, who's been running from here to stir this and checking on this and running back, she does not notice that this cute little puppy has made a little poo right next to the dining room table. And she is running back and forth. She hasn't changed clothes from work, but she took off her high heels, so she's running barefoot. And she's like, oh! And she, so he comes in, his, his wife's body is frozen. Her face is convulsing. And he's staring. 
but I promise, true story, promise, true story. And the reason I tell it is because even on special days, even on days where we try to do everything right, we still get distracted. And I think it's because much of our problem, when we get confused about the difference between pleasure and happiness. And I want you to hang on to that picture, but Jesus actually shares and addresses three different areas of our life that are what I like to call easy distraction zones. Not only does he share these, he also gives us a remedy for them that we'll look at as well so that we can really experience life to the full. So if you've ever been distracted, maybe you haven't been distracted in that particular way, but if you've ever been distracted, what I love about Jesus in these three areas is he's actually pretty gentle. The first one is in Matthew 6. So if you have a a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew and we're going to be in John. We're going to be a few places, but we'll have them on the screen. But sometimes people like to take notes. So Matthew 6 Chapter 1, I mean verse 1, and we're going to look at the area of life that Jesus addresses in people's actions. People's actions. Matthew 6, it says, be careful to, pra- to not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by them. Truly I tell you, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and in so that your giving may be done in secret because then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, these prayers and these practices are actually good, godly actions. Practices that, really, we should all be doing. Practice your righteousness, do good deeds, give to the needy, pray and talk to your Father in heaven. So how could Jesus be warning that these things are distractions? Well, I think it's about what it's directed towards. Because people that Jesus is talking about are more concerned about being seen by others, they're more concerned about the applause of others than the reward of God. And we do the very same thing. Oh my gosh, I got got another notification, I got another follower, now I have to decide if I need to follow them too because I gotta keep track of the how many are following and how many am I following? And then, you know, I got to check, keep up with my friend list and am I posting enough? And we get so concerned about what everyone else thinks about us that we forget that God actually thinks about us too. Maybe it's not social media for you. Maybe it's hearing the acceptance or the awards or the applause of your spouse, of your friends, of your boss, of who your family. We get distracted and we miss the voice of God. 
You hear how many times that Jesus said, your father in heaven, your heavenly father, not just some random God, not just some random person, your heavenly father desires to reward you. And if I'm honest, sometimes I get distracted. See, I think we get distracted when we think pleasing people brings more reward than pleasing God. I I think that's what I call a cautionary force. When we think pleasing people will bring more reward than pleasing God. It's just centered around the idea of your actions. Jesus continues this line of thinking when he addresses people's needs. He does it in Matthew as well, Matthew 6, 25. After he talks about these prayers that we just read about, he talks about fasting, he um, goes on a little bit of different tangent, he comes back to this idea of people's needs when he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not toil or they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, there it is again, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, Jesus says. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, not even Solomon, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who don't follow God, they chase after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. You know, in Jesus' day, think about it. People did have to worry about what they eat, what they would drink, what they would wear, because they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have microwaves. Do you remember? Some of you are old enough to remember what it was like before a microwave. My parents tell me stories I remember when we got our first one. It was bigger than the TV set. Actually, it wasn't. It was bigger than the second TV set we got. But, oh my gosh, I I don't even want to tell you how much cooking is done with the microwave. But there were no refrigerators, no microwaves, there's no Hy-Vee, there's no Target, and there's no outlet malls. People had to work for their food. They had to work for clean water. They had to work or make their own clothes. This was something that everyone had to think about if they were going to survive. And Jesus isn't criticizing it or devaluing it. But he is trying to get us to focus on the worry and the wonder. It's not these things, that these things are bad. It's the worry and the wonder. It's the wondering about, will God come through for me? In my water, in my food, in my clothes. Do I believe he's good when he doesn't answer my prayer? when he doesn't give me that thing that I need, that I think I need, that I'm pretty sure anyone else would say I do need. That's the worry and the wonder that he's focusing on. We might not have to worry about our clothes today. We might not have to worry about our water today. And and we don't have to feel guilty about that. But we do have to stop if we're going to let God's word continue to speak to us. We do have to stop and say, well, what do I worry about? Where do I? I think too much about this thing 
that really God promises he's going to take care of me? Do I see him as my heavenly father? That Jesus says, knows what you need. He knows what you need. We get distracted when we believe that God is mean or God is angry or God is distant or God is aloof when our needs aren't met. I had a friend who brought in, brought in someone who was in a really troubled place and they were caring for this person. They were asking God to help this person, to have them change. And time after time, this person was not believing that God was good. The child that they were taking in was taking from them, was stealing from them, and then just ran away. And in that moment, the friend who took the person in started to believe that God wasn't good. A little distraction became a whole lot of control. Where are those places that start as distractions for you, but then take on this whole meaning of control? First, Jesus addresses people's actions. Then he addresses their needs. And then I think he addresses their wants. So we're going over to John 10. In John 10, Jesus is talking about sheep and shepherds, and he is addressing the religious leaders in this passage. He tells a little story about sheep and shepherds that we'll talk about in a minute, but they don't get the story, and so then he says this. He says, therefore, Jesus says again, John 10, starting in verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gateway or the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate to the sheep, or I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, at first glance, you might say, I don't really see how that fits into our wants, but Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders about their wants, The religious leaders were taking advantage of people. They were using religion to get their wants and needs met. Wealth and pride, status, privilege. That's what they were going after. Those, I wouldn't say, are needs. Those were wants. They went beyond their need to something they desired. It's not that desires are bad. It's just that they're beyond our needs. And so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious people, about their desires. You might say another word for this thing that's beyond our needs would be things that make us feel good. Pleasures. And I think we're a world and a country of pleasure-seeking. Think about the experiences that people will buy to have adventure and pleasure. Think about the apps that you put on your device for a little pleasure and adventure. But here's the thing about those pleasures. When you seek them, no matter what they are, the more you seek them, the less enjoyment they will give you unless the intensity of those experiences gets greater. Okay, so if somebody drinks and they drink for pleasure, 
they will start drinking and that will be a pleasurable experience. But the more they do it, the more they have to do, the stronger the drink has to be in order for them to get the same kind of pleasure that once they used to get. Okay, think about the silly apps that you put on your phone. Okay, I have some too. Angry Birds, right? Like it starts and it's fun, ah! but then at a certain level, if you don't beat that level, it starts to have this diminishing return. So you have to play more, you have to get farther. And then if you look at someone else's score, then you feel bad about yourself. Candy Crush. Like, oh, I got to level 25, but my friend's at level 47. How did she get to level 47? I can't believe that she got to level... Like, I thought you did this for pleasure. Like, and you have angst in your face. Like, it's just an app. I'm not trying to guilt on anyone. The same is true of pornography. I mean... We are a country that's addicted. We're a world that's addicted to images and video. I mean, the mo- anyone who's been addicted says the images and the videos that once brought pleasure now no longer do. You have to look harder. You have to find longer. You have to get more graph. You have to go for more intensity to get the same kind of pleasure. And if you don't, there's this diminishing return. So things that you thought brought you pleasure now actually make you feel disappointed and empty. You need another drink, another drug, another, another picture, another hit in order to get that pleasure. Another way to say it would be that eventually, no matter what the pleasure is, pleasure loses its pleasure, loses its appeal, and becomes a prison. And the thing we want becomes this prison warden that takes away our happiness and our freedom. And it's another distraction. We get distracted when we seek to satisfy our pleasures or our wants instead of following our shepherd. And if you're distracted by any of these things, we got to come back to this image of Jesus saying that he's the good shepherd. Now, I, maybe none of you have been on farms, but this idea of being a shepherd means that, that God takes care of us, that he tends to us, that as Jesus, as we read, Jesus calls them in and out to find pasture. There's a freedom, but there's also a dependency. And many of us don't like to be dependent. So we don't want to listen for that voice. We don't want to depend on that person. But Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. King David, the person who wrote Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe you've read, it's one of the most famous Psalms. Maybe you've read it. It starts Psalm 23, the Lord, uh, 23, one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Technically, if you translate this from the Hebrew, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall see nothing as lacking. Huh? (laughs) I shall see nothing as lacking. It's this Hebrew word, haser, and it means diminishing or want or not enough. Why is it that people who desire more and more always see the need to take from others? If you had to take from others, it's because you believe there's not enough. Scarcity. 
And the interesting thing about this word or this idea of not enough is the first time it's used in scripture is in the story of God right after God's chosen people are freed from slavery in Egypt. So it's in Exodus 16. We're going to put it up on the screen just because I think this is really getting at the heart of why, how we get distracted and where freedom lies. Exodus 16, it now God has delivered the people of God that were only picked on by God's choice through the person of Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel has 12 sons. And that becomes this nation that then becomes enslaved in Egypt, the greatest and most powerful civilization of the time. And God lets them go. They go through the Red Sea. They have now gone from the Red Sea a few days' journey to Elam. Elam is an oasis in a desert. That means there's food. That means there's water. That means there's shade. When you're in the desert, those are all very important things, especially in April, May time frame. But when they leave Elam, it says in Exodus 16, they came to the desert of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. There it is. We sat around pots of meat. I, I'd prefer to have mine barbecued, but you know, pots of meat but you have brought us into the desert to starve this assembly to death. Okay, what are the Israelites saying by saying that? You can play if you want. You can answer. Their needs were being met. Yep. We'd rather be slaves if, as long as our needs are met. Now, think about this, Okay. We'd rather be slaves as long as our needs are met. So what do you think it means that in this story, which is not about Israelites, I mean it is, but it's the human story. What do you think it means in the human story that the first time they notice there's not enough of something is after they're freed? I know it's a level two question. The grass is always greener on the other side. Sure, I bet that's part of it. Until you get there. Then you look somewhere. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, we're not in control. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah. Somebody else was providing their needs. It's hard to tell what we're a prisoner to. I mean, I think those things are all true. But I would say, it's hard to tell what we're a prisoner to. In fact, until we're freed from it, we don't actually see it. Now, level three. What do you think it means that in this story, which is the human story, that they first notice that there's a lack of something after they're freed... Okay, same question. Here's the add-on. And they'd rather go back to slavery. They'd rather go back to prison. Mm, 
People are always comfortable with the known, not the unknown, even if it means slavery, captivity, pain, not enough. Woo! Wow, they'd have to rely on trusting God, not themselves, but that's, oh, I don't know, hard work. Let's see, do I want to be in control and be able to know? Even if, it, even if it's this much and I can fill it up, then it's enough. Even though I'm in slavery, even though I'm in captivity, even though I'm in prison, because going to dependence, going to trusting God, that is hard. I think it also means that we can't live free in our own strength. And I think it might also mean we're all addicted. But Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall see nothing as lacking. So if I understand that the Lord God, the creator and sustainer and redeemer of the universe, the one who comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who gives himself for us to have life, if I understand that that God is my shepherd, that means he protects for me, he provides an environment for me where I can grow and become all that he has created me to be. If that is my God, then, then, I shall see enough. I shall see nothing is lacking. I shall see enough in every situation I find myself in, in every place I go, and every experience, and every thought that I have because the Lord is with me. He's with me. They're over and over in the refrain, in the story of God, in the people of God, in the desert, it says, have, have I not provided for you? Do you not have all that you need? Even though you're in a desert, even though you're in this experience, you have everything you need. Your clothes never ran out. Your food never ran out. Your water never ran out. This is the refrain all through the story of Leviticus, through the story of Numbers, and through the story of Deuteronomy, those books that we really, really sometimes skip over. And that's, this is the refrain. I'm taking care of you. That's why I think that the psalmist so easily says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures, places of abundance, places of frolic, sometimes he makes me lie down. But that's okay, I trust him. Or when he leads me to the quiet waters, where I can actually see a reflection of my own soul, he refreshes it and restores it. Or when he leads me to the right path, I take it. Even when he takes me down the valley of the shadow of death, even if he takes me through cancer diagnosis, even if he takes me through a separation, even if he takes me through the pain of losing a child, I will trust him. I will understand that in him, everything can be redeemed. Everything can be restored. It doesn't mean it will be. It just means it can be. And in him, that's enough. Jesus says, I'm the gatekeeper for the gate to the sheep and the sheep listen to my voice and he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out and when he's brought them out, he goes ahead of them and then they follow his voice. They go, he goes on ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They'll never listen to a stranger because they don't recognize his voice. They'll run from that voice. So as we wrap up, how, 
are you doing at listening to God's voice? How are you doing at listening to God's voice? You know, I have moments where things are good. I, five years ago, I started turning off the radio in the car and just started praying in that time and talking to God. Honestly, very seldom do I turn on the radio. It bugs the heck out of my kids, but I'm just like, I like the quiet. And it's hard to have quiet in our world. But when we start to have more quiet, it's easier to hear God's voice. There are lots of times, though, that I go through a day and I go, hmm, I didn't listen for you, God. I was distracted by many things. How are you doing at listening to God's voice? Because if you listen, I promise you, if you listen, he would say, you're my beloved child. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I will take care of you. I know where you're going. I know where you need to go. I can provide for you. I want to enjoy time with you. I love you. I have you. I hold you in this spot where you think you can't go any further. I will carry you. He would say that to you. He does say that to us over and over. And we need to listen for that voice until it becomes second nature so we can say, that's who I am. I am God's. I am his. And I'm okay. He takes care of me. That might involve spending more time in scripture, remembering verses that you've read if you're, if you're a follower of his. It might mean to going to places to pray or to just seek quiet if you haven't spent much time with God or if you're not sure where to go. Then go to the parks. Go to the woods. There's a great amount of quiet. Less and less, but still more. It might mean shutting off your phone or not using the apps that so quickly can help distract you from the pain of your life or the trouble of your life or the worry of your life or the exhaustion from trying to maintain control. But when we listen, he does provide. And we don't have to be in control. We find we have more energy. We have more space to be who God's created us to be, to share with others, to give to others, to contribute to the good of the world and the redemption of the world. And it is amazing. But we gotta trust. We gotta listen. And he's always, always talking. And if you're not sure if you can trust him, if you've never, if there's just a little bit of holdout, well, how, but you don't know my story, Pastor. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. You're right, I haven't. But I know that this Jesus who calls himself the good shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know me. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how you can trust him. He will sacrifice his life for you. He has sacrificed his life for you. When the world was as atrocious as it could be, and you might think it's bad now, but it was really bad. 